Section 20 of Monday Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Monday Tales by Alphonse Daudet. Translated by Marion McIntyre. Section 20. My Kepi. This morning I came across it again, where it had lain forgotten at the bottom of a closet. It was dust-stained, frayed at the edges, the figures were rusted, the color had faded, and it was almost shapeless. I could scarcely restrain a smile, and exclaimed, Ah, there you are, my kepi. And suddenly I remembered that day towards the end of autumn, the warmth of the sunshine, the kindling of enthusiasm, how I had gone down the street, proud of my new headgear, knocking my gun against the shop windows, as I went on my way to join the battalions of the quarter and do service as citizen soldier. Ah, he who had told me then that I was not going to save Paris, deliver France by my own unaided strength, would certainly have run the risk of receiving the point of my bayonet straight in the stomach. There was such absolute faith in the National Guard. In the public gardens and squares, along the avenues, at every corner, companies were gathering and numbering, long lines in which blouses and uniforms, caps and kepis were seen side by side, for there was great haste. Every morning, we who were new recruits, assembled upon the place, beneath the low arcades, standing at the great gates in the draft and fog. After the roll call, where hundreds of incongruous names mingled in a grotesque chaplet, the drill began, arms straight at the sides, teeth clenched, the various divisions set out keeping step, left, right, left, right, and short and tall, infirm poseurs, figures clad in uniforms that brought back memories of the stage, some of the new soldiers encumbered with immense blue bands that gave them the appearance of choristers. All of us, however different our uniforms were, marched and faced about within our limited space with the utmost spirits and confidence. All this would have seemed absurd enough had it not been for the deep bass of the cannon, a continual accompaniment, which lent freedom and scope to our maneuvers, drowned many a shrill and feeble command, atoned for many an awkwardness, many a blunder, and in this great melodrama of Paris besieged, lent just that sort of stage music which proves itself so effective in the theatre when the pathetic is to be added to a situation. Finest sight of all, when we mounted to the rampart, I still can picture myself on those foggy mornings, passing proudly before the Colonne de Juillet and paying it military honours. Carry arms! And then those long streets of Charenne full of people, those slippery pavements where it was so difficult to mark step. Approaching the bastions, our drums would beat the charge. Rang! Rang! I fancy now I am in the midst of it all again. It was so enchanting, that frontier of Paris, the green talouse with excavations for the cannon, the open tents full of animation, the smoke of bivouac fires, figures darkly outlined on the heights, looking so diminutive as they wandered back and forth, 
the tops of kepis and the points of bayonets rising here and there above the bags piled about. Oh, my first night on guard, groping my way in the dark, in the rain while the patrol passed on, jostling each other on the wet embankment, slipping out one by one and leaving me, the last, perched above the Porte Montreuil at a formidable height. What beastly weather it was that night! In the deep silence that enfolded city and country, nothing could be heard but the wind sweeping over the ramparts, making the sentinels bend before it, carrying away the password and causing the panes of an old street lamp on the road at the foot of the talut to rattle dismally. That infernal street lamp! Every time I heard it, I fancied it was the sabre of an ulan rattling, and I remained there supporting arms. Who goes there? ever on my lips. Then the rain grew colder. The gray of dawn began to appear in the direction of Paris. A tower, a cupola, could be distinguished. A cab was heard rumbling in the distance. A bell struck. The mighty city awoke from slumber, and shivering at the first moment of awaking, tossed about and gave signs of returning life. A cock crowed on the opposite side of the talus, at my feet, beneath the still dark road over which my rounds were made, a sound of footsteps was heard, a rattling of iron, and in reply to my halt who goes there, uttered in a terrible tone, rose a little, timid, tremulous voice reaching me through the fog. A woman selling coffee. You smile, but what could be expected of us? These were the first days of the siege and we fancied to ourselves, poor raw militia that we were, we imagined that the Prussians, under fire from the forts, would come to the foot of the ramparts, set their ladders there, and scale them some fine night in the midst of huzzas, with port fires moving to and fro in the darkness. Imagination anticipating such things as these, you can conceive that there were frequent alarms. Scarcely a night that the cry, to arms, to arms, did not startle us from our sleep. Then men would shove and jostle each other in their haste to reach their guns, overturning them while the startled officers exclaimed, Keep cool, keep cool, endeavoring thus to calm themselves. Later, at daybreak, we would perhaps discover that the enemy had been merely a runaway horse, capering about the fortification and nibbling the grass of the talut and that our imaginations had mistaken one innocent animal for a whole troop of white cuirassiers, allowing it to serve as a target for an entire bastion in arms. All these things my kepi recalled to me. Multitudinous emotions, various adventures and scenes, Nanterre, La Courneuve, Le Moulin Saquet, and that delightful bend of the Marne where the intrepid 96th saw fire for the first and last time. The Prussian batteries faced us, planted at the end of a road behind a thicket, and the smoke rising through the branches reminded one of some tranquil hamlet. Upon the unprotected track of the railroad, where our chiefs had forgotten us, shells rained upon us with loud and terrible force, and ominous flashes were seen. Ah, my poor Kepi, there was no boasting that day, and again and again you made the military salute, lower perhaps than was fitting.
No matter. Those are delightful memories. It is all slightly grotesque, no doubt. Still, a feather in the cap of patriotism. But, alas, you recall other memories. Unhappily, there were also those night watches in Paris, our post some shop that was to let, within the suffocating heat of a stove, the shiny benches. There were monotonous watches before the doors of some mairie, the place covered with the slush of winter, which, melting, reflected the city in its gutters. While doing police duty in the streets amid puddles of water, we would carry off drunken soldiers who had lost their way, women and thieves. In the gray light of early morning, we would return to our quarters weary, covered with dust, the smell of pipes and petroleum clinging to our clothing. And then there were those long days so foolishly spent, with elections of officers, attended by lengthy discussions, the tittle-tattle of each company, the farewell punches and round upon round of brandy, men explaining each to the other the plan of campaign, using matches to make their explanations clearer. There was the excitement of voting. Politics entered upon the scene with her sister, righteous idleness. Hours were spent merely in lounging, difficult indeed to know what to do with oneself, and all that time wasted weighed upon a man as if he were surrounded by a lifeless atmosphere making him desire to gesticulate, to keep in motion. There were hunts for spies, men entertained absurd suspicions of each other, and confidence equally exaggerated. They dreamed of a sortie en masse, of making a breach. All the follies and delirium of an imprisoned people had sway. These were the memories, hideous Kepi, that returned to me at sight of you. You, too, had your share in all these follies, and if on the day after Buzenval I had not tossed you to the top of a closet, had I done as so many others, who insisted on keeping their kepis, decorating them with immortelles and gold stripes, merely to remain an odd number in some scattered battalion, who knows upon what barricade you might have dragged me at last? Ah, decidedly, kepi of revolt and indiscipline, kepi of idleness and drunkenness, of club life and gossip, kepi of civil war, you deserve not even the waste corner which I allowed you in my closet. Away with you, into the waste basket. End of section 20. Recording by Linda Johnson.